1: Going broke is like a rookie initiation, like you cannot be an entrepreneur unless you have truly felt the pain of what it feels like to really be broke. And it will last longer than you think. I think so much of entrepreneurship is the persistence to fight that battle. (laughs) Despite what my life looks like and despite what my Instagram looks like or despite the fact that I'm in the Swiss Alps, there has been so much stress and so many challenges as I couldn't have even guessed. However, every single one of those challenges and every single one of those stresses were 1,000% worth it.
0: This is The Maverick Show, where you'll meet today's most interesting real estate investors, entrepreneurs, and world travelers, and learn the strategies and tactics they use to succeed. And now, here's your host, Matt Bowles. Welcome to The Maverick Show. Ali Boone is the founder and owner of Hipster Investments. She is literally a rocket scientist who left her top secret job as an aerospace engineer for the government at age 30 to move to the beach and become a location independent entrepreneur. She is a real estate investor business owner, and since 2013 has been a weekly contributor to the Bigger Pockets blog. She has created real estate investing videos on YouTube that have garnered over 160,000 views for a single video. Allie has two master's degrees. She is also a pilot, a flight instructor, and recently appeared on a reality makeover show. Allie, Welcome to the show.
1: (laughs) You make it sound so exciting when you say it that way.
0: Well, we need to set the scene here for people, first of all, and explain exactly where we are doing this interview. You and I are currently in a penthouse overlooking the town of Zermatt, Switzerland, in the Swiss Alps. We are. And we are on the eve before we go and ski. I'm going to ski and you're going to snowboard. The Matterhorn. We are. And we have just opened a bottle of Chianti Classico because we are on the border of Switzerland and Italy. So when we go up the gondola ride tomorrow, we're going to be able to either ski down on the Swiss side or ski down on the Italian side.
1: I say we do both.
0: All of which means that the wine here, uh, the Italian uh, uh, wine here is plentiful and is top notch. So uh, I'm super excited to have you on the show just to give folks a little bit of background. You and I have known each other probably for six years. Mm -hmm. We have... Spent time in Central America together. Mm-hmm. We've been to Nicaragua together. We've been to Costa Rica together, zip lining and other things like that. We're going to go skiing and snowboarding tomorrow in Switzerland. We've hung out a good bit in Los Angeles. Uh, and all of that, so super super excited to have you on the show and to uh, allow you to share uh, your story, uh, and experiences and wisdom with the Maverick community. So, let's start off with this. I hear that you have, uh, you're just recovering from a bit of an ear infection, <laughs> bit of an huh? ear infection. So, so, uh, tell, uh, <laughs> Tell folks how that came about and what that's all about.
1: I may or may not have gone skydiving for the first time, finally. Uh, As you said, I'm a pilot, so I've had a pretty strong oath about not leaving a perfectly good running airplane. Uh, So I finally broke the pilot oath and jumped out of a plane. I knew I should have had earplugs in, but the free fall through the ice cold weather gave me an ear infection. But what can you do?
0: And talk a little bit about your approach and strategy, because I think this is a good lead into discussions about business and investing and so forth, about the concept of your comfort zone and intentionally, periodically doing things to step outside of your comfort zone and how that impacts your life.
1: (laughs) Skydiving was kind of, uh, I don't know, like I, I was very used to in life I had a very wide comfort zone, but now as I've kind of gone along this journey, and I'm sure we'll talk about different stuff, I have found more realms, well, I've found realms at all that I'm not comfortable in. And one for me, I think, was just kind of giving in, letting go, let go of the control. And honestly, once you jump out of an airplane, I I mean, I was attached to somebody, so I had no control. Uh, My only job was to arch my back. That's all. That's what I knew.
0: (laughs) So, so, so I've never done it uh, before. And I'm sure a lot of the listeners have never done it before. So what was that feeling? Describe, I, you know, I would imagine, you know, even if I said, okay, I'll do it. And then I got up in the plane that when it came time to actually go, there would be a massive for me amount of trepidation and stuff. So describe the feeling as you got up there, as you went to go do the jump. And then as you were free falling, and then as the shoe pulled, like describe, how that felt.
1: Well, I will tell you the scariest part for sure, hands down, was when the people in front of me just tipped on out of the airplane, my eyes got super... I mean, I was already... I saw people kind of leaving the plane, but when I was watching them from right behind and they just tipped on out, that was when I first thought, oh, um... Uh, oh, but by then, my instructor, whatever you call him, tandem pilot, person, jumper, uh, I mean, there was no, I didn't even have time to express my concern about the situation. Um, so leaving the airplane, I think, was the worst because you're going from perfectly safe, good ground to free falling. And, but leading up to that, I think, I. I had a lot of lengthy discussions with myself about the whole situation. Like, I kind of zoned myself out for it a little bit. Like, uh, But that discussion revolved around I had no choice but to do this. Like, to me, this was not a choice by any stretch of the imagination because the lifestyle that I lead, the things that I do, the places I want to go, they require a level of trust. in in order to keep going in life to the extent that I wanted to go, I needed to be able to do this which was just let go of control. I've been practicing for years, this whole letting go thing. But, you know, this was kind of the like, hmm, have I really let go if I haven't jumped out of an airplane yet and hope that the parachute opens? Um, so that was the lead in. And then when I got out of the plane, I was actually pretty fine. I was so cold that I I wasn't thinking much about it. But the minute the parachute opened, I knew I I had lived. That was my only milestone. Like, if the parachute opens, if I break a leg, if I whatever, no big deal. But I need the chute to open. So the minute that was good, I was like, easy, peasy. (laughs) No big deal.
0: So, this sounds like actually an incredible metaphor as you're speaking uh, for entrepreneurship. It is. And for real estate investing, actually, both.
1: Which makes me think I did it in reverse order. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, and you know, it kind of speaks to like anyone on this journey. Like, people have different kinds of trust issues. Like, people look at me and a lot of the things I've done, they're like, They wouldn't think that I have trust issues, but mine are in different realms than a lot of people. Like a lot of people don't trust that the money's going to come in or the whatever. And I had always assumed that my mind would overcome those problems. Like if I had a problem in one of those areas, I was strong enough on my mind to figure it out. But for me, it was more like surrendering and trusting and letting go and not controlling everything about my life. So it was a little bit of the reverse because those things didn't come up until I took the leap Uh, with everything else.
0: So let's go back and talk about that leap. Um, And I want you to tell your story. You were in a very secure, high-paying job. You are a rocket scientist. Literally, you are an aerospace engineer. You have a master's degree in aerospace engineering. You had a top-secret government job, uh, making a lot of money, very, very safe, um, and so forth. What made you, uh, and if you can just tell us sort of your story of the events leading up to decide that you wanted to take another path, and then how did you find and design and then execute that path to move from the corporate world to living a location-independent life where you live most of the time on the beach in Los Angeles <laughs> and then travel at will to places like Central America, Europe to go skiing, uh, snowboarding, or uh, whatever it else that is that you want to do at your leisure. So tell us a little bit about how that story unfolded. I think
1: you left hippie out of my bullet point list too. That was, that was actually kind of one of my main drivers for this whole thing, is I actually wanted to be a hippie. <laughs> so just throw that out there. Um, uh, you know, I think... I think I always wanted it, whether I knew it or not. I remember being, like, 13 and thinking, like, I wanted to make a lot of money. and But in the way of I hated restriction. I hated anyone telling me what to do. Um, I've always been like that. But growing up, I got caught up in the typical, like what I should be doing. And you have to go to school and get good grades and get a job and get a secure job because you don't want to get laid off and you got to make a lot of money. Otherwise you're not going to eat. And the whole should syndrome or whatever you want to call it. Um, so, and it, it didn't, and it resonated with me at the time because I was very mind driven. I was a pilot. Um, so I went to school, to become a pilot and then realized maybe I didn't want a degree in being a pilot in case I didn't want to be a pilot. So I decided to go engineering because at the time I was thinking, wait, starting out pilots make horrible amounts of money. I got to make a lot of money, this whole shit thing. And I was like, engineers make a lot of money. I want to make a lot of money. And certainly it's got to be the same thing as being a pilot. How different can it be? Well, I, I learned that the hard way. It's very different. Um, but it, Yeah, so I really just followed the path of the shit thing. But the whole time I was doing that, I'll never forget the very first time I ever walked into my first day of my big girl engineering job. Like, I got hired at a very prestigious place. Like, this was big girl job. I'm not a Papa John's delivery girl anymore. Like, this was the big time. But leading up to that, I had been a flight instructor. So my office was the sky. Like, Hello. And I walked into my oh-so-prestigious job, and it was a gray cubicle. (laughs) And I had my little dress pants on, and I couldn't walk in heels. I was stumbling all over the place, and I just stared at this cube like, oh. I was like, um, uh, um, I mean, I guess I'll get used to it. Everyone works in a cube, right? Like, I'll I'll get used to it. I'm just, I'm used to other stuff. Well, I never got used to it, needless to say, and... Lucky for me that that drive Stuck and I didn't settle, and I did not start like engineering because I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today.
0: So, okay, so I think I feel like there's a lot of people who are in that position. They're in a corporate job and they make money, they have a secure job, but it's unsatisfying, right? They know that there's more out there, they know that there are much more freedom that they could have, much more control over their life that they could have, control over their time, more freedom of mobility, Mm -hmm. more location independence to travel and live in different places around the world. Yeah, they want that but there is the challenge of taking the leap from the secure job to maybe the unknown or really pursuing that path. And I feel right. like there's a lot of people that get stuck and tripped up and sort of halted at that point. So they mm-hmm. they have the dream, they have the aspiration maybe, they have a little bit of the drive, but they don't make that leap. So can you talk for you about when mm-hmm. you got up to that moment, how did you decide to make the leap, and how did you decide the path that you wanted to go down post-corporate?
1: You're right. That's the most common thing I hear, and I get asked it all the time of, oh, I, but, but what about the paycheck, and how do you do that? And the thing I tell people is that it didn't happen overnight by any stretch. And a lot of people don't even realize with my journey, the whole five years I was working as an engineer, it didn't take very long of me sitting in that cube, probably less than couple months before I realized I may not actually get used to this gray cubicle thing. And I started reading books and I started, I, I had it in my head thinking, Hmm, I should really see if I can't find a way to not have to come to this cubicle. And it started as simple as just reading some books. And so as I kind of kept reading books, I still had no idea what I was looking for, but as soon as something would start resonating with me, I'd kind of follow, I'm like, wait, I'd, Okay, this author is, is speaking to me a little bit. Something in the realm of something maybe leading me out of corporate. So I I would say for the first three years maybe, I was just reading. I was so bored at work. I was how I never got fired, I have no idea, because I was trolling the internet all the time, like, ooh. What could I do? Like, okay, hmm, let's see. If I want to get out of corporate, um, I might have to start a business or I'm going to have to buy real estate. How would I buy real estate? I don't really have that much money. And so it was a constant. Like, I I don't even know if I actually got any work done because I was just researching everything I could. And I think that depending on people's situation, don't forget that there may just be a research period because I think one of the biggest keys in all of this, this whole equation – is finding the thing that fits you. And it may be, some people know, like maybe you're in a particular trade and you love your job, and but you want to do it on your own. Totally, like go that route, whatever. I had no idea, I didn't want to do engineering. What would I have done engineering wise on my own? And it the way it worked out with everything I did is that what fit me kind of found me. I put in all the work, I put in the hours, I put in everything, but eventually the opportunity presented itself to me. Which I think is huge for a lot of people because I think one of the lingering questions with the one that you're saying is, well, how do I know what to do? Or people will say, well, tell me exactly how you did exactly what you're doing. And I'm like, well, I could, but even if I did, that's not your path. Like it's, you know, it's kind of a, you really want to make sure you find your thing first of all, you have to love it because it is stressful. So if you don't love it, you're really not going to tolerate the stress of it very well. So, um, research period is huge. And then after that initial research period and I made a decision, I was like, I'm going to go this route. That's it. I've had it. Like I am in. And the minute I said that another route kind of presented itself to me, I'm sure we'll talk details of it later, but I kind of followed that. And At that point, I didn't even know that I was going to be able to quit corporate because of this, but it was a matter of doing things on the side. And I think there's a huge balance in if you have a full-time job, don't just up and leave it and starve yourself and whatever, as much as you can help it. My theory, at least, is do as much as you can while you have your normal job or whatever you're doing, fund yourself. Because if all of a sudden you're trying to figure all this out and you have no money and you're hungry... The stress is either gonna make you settle, it's gonna stress you out too much that you can't figure out what you're supposed to be doing, and on and on and on. So, the longer you can feed yourself and pay your rent or whatever you're paying, the better, I think. And it helps with the sanity situation a little bit. And then deciding when it's time, because you will eventually have to make the leap. But the more you can set yourself up ahead of time, whether it's putting money in your savings account, um, if it's a profession of having clients, build a few clients on the side, like secure people while you still have a full-time job. Um, anything you can do, not to be confused with, don't wait forever either. Like you're you're not going to have max security, but it's really just, I think that's what people don't realize is the build time. Like it's not, I think the way that people explain it, it probably sounds like people just take this humongo leap and it is a leap. Like, My first year and everything was, oh, like, you know, me and wine were real good friends. Like, oh, this is stressful. And I did have build time. But so there is going to, you're going to have the fun of the leap because it's part of the excitement and the campfire stories later, but trying to be smart about it and really just building, working towards what you're doing until you literally are losing out on your future By hanging on to your current job.
0: Right. So, talk a little bit about hipster investments. You're the founder, you're the owner, that's your business. And talk about how you got from your corporate job to being the owner of hipster investments. How did you choose that particular direction for yourself? And then, how did you go about getting there and leaving your corporate job? Tell that story.
1: It was very unexpected. I, it it's funny because i was on such a mission i'm like i'm going to find my way out of corporate if it's the last thing i do and i hate my cubicle and da da da, da. and all of this started and i never put the two and two together never thought that this was going to be what would get me out of corporate which seems crazy thing. i'm like wait wasn't that all i was thinking about like oh I'll, in, I'll invest in real estate on the side and it'll be great secondary income hello, <laughs> what am I tra- I've been trying to for five years to get out of corporate? Um, but the short of it is I had decided to go the business route. I was like, if I'm getting out of corporate, I'm going to go the business route. I signed up for some different things. I was going to pursue this and I was bored at work one day and a webinar popped up in my email just I never even listened to webinars and I was so bored in my gray cubicle that I listened to it and it's something about it was kind of like, Hey, remember that real estate thing you were pondering? I'm like, wait, what? And next thing I knew completely unexpectedly, I suddenly started buying real estate and Still not thinking anything of it. I was seeing this as a side time thing, just, you know, I want to put my money somewhere smart. I'm making a great paycheck. Let's do something smart while I figure my way out of corporate, because I was not tying these things together. So as it kept going, people knew I was buying real estate. And they're like, wait, how are you buying real estate without swinging hammers and doing all the complicated stuff that every real estate investor has to do? So I was telling them what I was doing. Well, then they wanted to buy these properties and get into it and whatever. And so as this kept on, the opportunity of essentially becoming an agent in the investor investment um, realm, I guess if you'll call it, because most agents, right, are primary home buyer agents, and they have to look really pretty and wear heels and charm all these primary home buyers. Not me. Like, if I tried to do this, it would be an utter fail. Um, But this was a different kind of agent situation. And so... But again, I still wasn't thinking of the corporate situation, getting out of corporate thing. I was thinking, oh, well, that'd be cool. I could do this agent thing on the side. How fun is it to to do like the stuff that I like? I get to talk to people, which dear God, engineers don't talk to each other much. I annoyed every engineer around me. I'd constantly like knock on their cube, like, hey, what you doing? What you doing now? What, what? They're like working. And if I wasn't at their cubicle, I was instant messaging like, hey, What's going on? Tell me about your life. Tell me everything you know. Like, I just wanted to talk to people. So I saw this as like, oh, well, what a fun thing to like have a talking outlet and make good income, like t- easy secondary income. Still not putting these stupid things together. And then finally I woke up one day uh, and thought, wait a minute. Oh, like it was act- it's actually now that I'm thinking about it kind of embarrassing how long it took me to put all these pieces together.
0: You know, my situation is not dissimilar to yours because I also had a full-time job. I also started investing in real estate while I was working at my job. I started buying out-of-state rental properties, having them professionally managed. I wasn't renovating them; I wasn't the landlord, but I was buying rental properties, collecting rental income, and learning about it as I went. Reading books, mm-hmm. making all the mistakes myself, learning from them the hard way, uh, and so forth, as you do, and developing that level of expertise. And then for me, you know, I think your advice to people is pretty wise, which is you know trying to start developing a side hustle. While you still have your job. I love that
1: side hustle. (laughs) And getting it, and getting it. Yes. Go for the side hustle. (laughs) And getting it, and getting it to a
0: particular level and then transitioning into it, right. Mm -hmm. To cut out the stress. Now for me, I uh, was completely blindsided and I got fired from my job completely unexpectedly, you know, like one afternoon, right. Like, okay, it's not working out. See ya, get out. Yep. And I was totally blindsided. And and for me, I mean, they literally like when I got fired from my job, they took my you know you know my company the, pho- the my cell phone was yeah. my only phone is a company <laughs> phone. You know, I literally had to drive to the Verizon store <laughs> to buy a phone to call my mother to tell her I was fired. <laughs> how'd you know? you fi-
1: wait, how'd you find the cell phone store if you didn't have a GPS? Yeah, exactly. Find, no, like, I knew where, Quest Yeah, exactly. No, I
0: knew where it was. And so and so and so and so. Li- but literally that day, as I was driving to the cell phone store. I said to myself, I am never working for anyone else again. You know, this is not job security. I can get fired by anyone. I can have a boss that dictates my terms and my hours and whether or not they want to keep me employed on a day's notice or anything else. And so at that moment, I said, I am going to figure out how to start a business and how to turn my expertise, you mm-hmm. know, and, and the, the knowledge that I had developed and the education that I had got into a business, yeah. right? And same thing. But I was sort of catapulted into that <laughs> unexpectedly. And I'm like, um, I better hurry up and do that. Uh, so I think ideally, you know, um, you know, your approach is correct. But to be honest, you know, with me, if I'm honest and looking back on it, if I didn't get fired from my job, mm-hmm. Would I have even made the leap that yeah. you made, you know, well, or would I, I still be there yeah. today? Because it, with the job was okay; I didn't hate it. It was mediocre, yeah. right? It was it was it was passable. It was tenable. It was fine. You know, and there were good things about it, and all this kind of stuff. So I, was, I had always had this thing in the back of my mind, but for me, it was like the kick in the pants mm-hmm. that was required to push me out there and say, "Okay, this is clearly a sign that this is my moment yeah. to do it now." But I think if you are able to do that planning and to build it up on the side yeah. and then make that. Transition, I think that's probably the more responsible and strategic way to go if you can do it.
1: You're right. There is a very large population of people who wanna do it, but then they're kinda they're okay-ish, maybe not totally happy. And it's a lot of my friends. Oh so many of them. But one thing I will tell you is every friend that I have had who because they know my life. Like we sit down and we'll have a beer or whatever, and they say, Man, you know, you know, I guess job's okay and blah, 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 but I kind of went out and whatever. I, there's no exception to what I'm about to say with anyone I know, maybe there is in the world, but no one I know so far, every single person who has, to me, expressed that they want out of their job, but they just can't bring themselves to do it or whatever the problem is some freak of nature has happened with them every single time. They either get fired, they get laid off. Well, I guess those are only two. Something happens and they are forced out of their job. And one of my friends, uh, beyond a highly rated employee, never had a better view. There was no problem. Freak of nature gets fired for some like weird thing. And my stance about it is if you, it's it's like saying Beetlejuice three times. If you say it enough, it's going to, it's going to appear. And if you just go on and on and on about how you want to get out of your job, I personally think if you don't do it on your own, you'll get the catapult somehow, because it's, to me, if you have that desire inside of you, I think you should follow it in whatever way that you do that. I don't know. But if you have the desire, it means to me, you should be exploring it or try it or working towards it or whatever. So... I say that as a motivation, like if you're thinking about it, just go ahead and start planning and start building it while you still have a paycheck, or you're going to end up in a catapult situation. Cause that sounds completely traumatizing.
0: So <laughs> it was not unstressful, um, <laughs> but a hundred percent worth it. And looking back now, I, I'm very thankful that that happened at that moment in yeah. my life. And you and I were the same age when we left our jobs. We were yeah, both 30, 30 years old. I mean, that was, that was the year. And,
1: uh, I say I retired at 30. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Certainly you retired from the corporate world, as did I. I did. So I want you to describe a little bit the difference in terms of your life Uh, now. What does your life look like? What does your day look like? What time are you getting up? What does your Mm -hmm. life look like? So you can paint that for people that don't know you versus when you had a corporate job.
1: I don't usually get out of my pajamas now. I might graduate into, like, gym clothes at some point. Um, No, but seriously... I mean, the corporate job was a corporate job. I worked whatever it was, nine to six or eight to five or worse or whatever. And then there's commute time. So I'm up early. I obviously have to be in bed by a certain time where I'm going to be exhausted and business casual clothes. I, I literally had by the last year or two that I worked there, I think I had three outfits. I, w- I was so miserable in these clothes. These were the only three I could tolerate. Like it was literally a matter of rotating between shirts and pants, like, just mix match. Horrible. I probably the worst dressed person in this entire company. And so, I mean, it was, everybody knows the corporate, just the full-time job thing. Like Sundays, as much as I want to relax on Sundays, I can only relax so much because then I have to get ready for the week. And then I know I have to get up. Like it killed half my Sunday for no good reason. And now I set my own hours. So I work whenever I want. And honestly, I would say that I get my best work done between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. I'm a night owl. And my biggest joy in life, hands down no contest, is sleeping in. And even more and people associate sleeping in with slacking all day long. I don't really care. It does it does make things a little bit harder when I can't schedule things very early. Cause it would, I, if I could be a morning person, I totally would for sure, but I'm not. So now what I do, which I don't know that people would even think of this as being a big thing, but I think it's a big thing is I go to sleep when my body wants to go to sleep. And I wake up when my body wants to wake up. And I have so much energy from that. I don't use an alarm for the most part and I basically do what I want and I work around that versus with a full-time job or a corporate job or whatever, you have a set time to be there and everything revolves around when you have to be at work, including your commute and getting ready and decompressing and all that because I consider that part of the job. But now my first priority is do what I want and then whatever time is left, which is often between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m., I do all my work. So it's a re... Prioritized life, which I feel like a lot of people probably judge it, but I'm really freaking happy with it too. (laughs) (laughs) Like slacker or not, I I mean, (laughs) if you want to call me a slacker for sleep, that's cool.
0: Yeah, exactly. So I think I, I think by any sort of objective measure of success. I mean, you are now making more income than you were at your corporate job. You have created the freedom to control your own time, to sleep in whenever you want, stay up as late as you want, structure mm-hmm. your day how you want. You have created the freedom of mobility to travel around the world. You and I have been ziplining in Costa Rica. We've been skiing in the Alps. We're <laughs> doing this stuff. And you can move and and live where you want for as long as you want and work where you want and play where you want and all of that. And so with that as the, as the vision, people look at you and they say, wow, like she is really incredibly successful. I don't know if I could do that. Can you, can you sort of just talk a little bit about some of the challenges in getting to where you are at this moment? Because the picture looks pretty amazing yeah. that you're painting. Talk a little bit about some of your failures mm-hmm. along the way. And some of the challenges, particularly in the early stages, the first year or so of entrepreneurship, and sort of share some of that, if you would, about that part of your journey.
1: Yeah, sure. And I don't think it would be fair to paint a picture. I mean, you just paint an amazing picture. But if that's all I left the people who are listening with, I think that would be false and misleading. Because I think what gets people in pickle, not only just in entrepreneurship, but in life is this misperception of what something should be. Or like, oh, well, if I have a hardship or a struggle, I'm not doing it right, or I'm a failure, or whatever. Because we live in a day and age where, if you look at someone's Facebook page, they don't post the problems. Well, some people do. But you know, for the most part, everything looks glorified. Or if you go to a magazine, everything's Photoshopped. But it gives this impression that, well, I should say it sets people up, I think, to feel like they're failures. And the minute you believe that about yourself, it, you're not going to make it because you're not going to allow yourself to do it. And so with the description you gave of what the picture looks like now, as I was hearing you say it, I was almost kind of laughing, thinking, there's, <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there's so much in between the lines of all that. And to be completely transparent... The six-figure thing now is accurate. However, I was so broke the first couple of years. So even if I'm making great money now, I'm actually just paying back what it took me to live for those couple of years. And that's something I think is very important for people to know. Because I remember when I went broke, I knew that part was going to happen, but I was certain it wasn't going to last for like more than a month. But I mean... Let's, can't last that long, right? (laughs) But it's going broke is, I swear, it's like a rookie initiation. Like you cannot be an entrepreneur unless you have truly felt the pain of what it feels like to really be broke. Agreed. And it will last longer than you think. It really will. And I think so much of entrepreneurship is the persistence to fight that battle with that and everything else. But so I say that really because I think it's such a huge point of despite what my life looks like and despite what my Instagram looks like or despite the fact that I'm in the Swiss Alps, it has, there has been so much stress and so many challenges as I couldn't have even guessed. However, every single one of those challenges and every single one of those stresses were 1,000% worth it but i really want to emphasize that to people because i think entrepreneurship is so little about the trade or the technical part of the thing like creating the business like any i mean not anyone can do that but it's that's the easier part it's not about whether you can build a business or not it's whether you can endure the emotional roller coaster involved because not everyone's cut out for it and i think Enduring that kind of stuff is key. And so it's important for me, like I said, despite what everything looks like, to be very transparent that it, it's not white, fluffy clouds. Like it really is not. But again, it's a almost cost benefit type of thing of every.
0: without the headaches of being the landlord or the rehabber or needing to live near the property. So I want to offer you a free consultation. If that sounds interesting to you, to learn more about it, you can just go to the slash consult. And now back to the episode.
1: Every headache I've had, and there have been some big ones, is worth it. Period. Totally, no
0: question. totally agreed. And when you say broke, you mean broke, broke, like food stamps <laughs> broke, literally.
1: <laughs> Can I just tell you that my, I'd say my parents, but my mother in particular, were really bummed out when I called them one day and I said, oh my God, I was like, guess what I figured out? And they're like, they were, they already were so itchy about, I'm leaving this high paid, secure corporate job, blah, blah, blah. I have what people would think to be the dream job. And here I am like, well. I'm just gonna do something. I don't know. And uh, so, as if they weren't already just swirling in their own stress, I call them beside myself excited that I figured out that I qualified for food stamps. Yep. And (laughs) they were not my mother's proudest moment. Not at all. Uh, Her high-achieving daughter was now bragging about being able to be on food stamps. And... More so because I thought it would be a really good story later, but I was legitimately broke. Like, I had nothing. And so I got my food stamps card, and I do live in Southern California, so I'm pretty proud to say that I swiped it at just about every Whole Foods (laughs) Trader (laughs) (laughs) Joe's. Like, I think I was probably the healthiest uh, food stamps eater for. For uh, the whole time I was on them. But well, I, I was broke. Well, for sure.
0: I, I agree with you about that. And I, uh, same experience as me, I can literally remember getting letters threatening to turn off my electricity, literally not being able to pay yeah. core living expenses. And just, y- there is just a relentless perseverance that is required. I mean, we started Maverick Investor Group in 2007 on the peak, I mean, at the precipice <laughs> of the entire global <laughs> financial and real estate collapse centered on the U.S. <laughs> real estate market. I mean, you know, we're like, oh, this would be a great idea, right? I mean, and then this just like, the best I mean, ever. it's just, I mean, it was just unbelievable, right? And then it was just, I mean, grueling. I mean, just a slog. <laughs> and it just, you know, and it was interesting because during that period, you saw so many people getting out of the real estate business. Yeah. All of these gurus and everybody's, oh, real estate is this and that. 2008 came around, 2009 came around. Yeah. they were off selling something else. They were selling like weight loss pills yeah. or what, you know, whatever it was. You know, And they, they get out of the industry and, and all this kind of stuff. And so for, for us, I mean, we, my business partners and I were just relentlessly determined that no matter yeah. what, no matter what it took, no matter if we had to borrow money from friends and family to survive and eat and this and whatever, we were going to build this business. It was going to be an epic world-class thing because we had a vision and I know you did as well. Mm-hmm. Of what we wanted to achieve. And those freedoms, those lifestyle freedoms, the location independence, the ability to live wherever you want, travel at will, control your own time, which is even more important than the income portion yeah. of it. Right yeah that was the vision, and that I was definitively certain was attainable, yeah, and it just took relentless perseverance and endurance of incredibly high stressful times and yeah. so I think thats I would agree with you, I mean, I think that the successful entrepreneurs are the ones who are going to it and are willing and able to weather. Extraordinary emotional stress, financial hardship, and just grind through it because they're 100% confident in their vision and they're just literally not willing to give up.
1: Yeah. I remember you told me one time, never ask if you can do something, ask how to do it. Right. And I think the minute you can ask yourself how you're going to do something... It changes the whole game of everything.
0: Absolutely. And that's a very important perspective to have and to maintain. And uh, I think both you and uh, I have done that over the years. And that's absolutely crucial. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about, just a little bit more about business. And then I want to get into a couple other topics with you as well. As you've built your company, can you talk about some of the I guess, business owner, just advices to other business owners. What have you found, for example, in terms of effectiveness with hiring practices Mm -hmm. and with management practices to get optimal productivity out of your team?
1: I think so many people start their business with that mindset of thinking, if I don't do it, it's either not going to get done or it's not going to get done right. I was one of those people. I would give so much money right now to be able to, I wish I had taken a screenshot or something of Hipster's first website. Holy crap. <laughs> like, <laughs> I did it myself. <laughs> <laughs> so Hipster had a very mm, janky website for a while. And, but I was still in this, the, the common mindset of I'm going to do everything myself. And to some degree, I think there's some value in that because I think when you start out, you do need to do everything yourself so you know how things work. So you, you know, it's like the manager who has done the employee's job type thing. So I think that's good. But the biggest trap I see is if you try and do everything yourself, you will limit yourself to such an extent that your business cannot grow. Period. For two reasons. Number one, there's only 24 hours in a day and you do at some point have to sleep. Maybe not all the time, but like you, there's not enough time available to you to get everything done. And second, and I think the most important is you're really shorting yourself and you're shorting your business's creativity because I'm sorry, I don't care how smart you are. You're not smart in every part of what it takes for a good business period. It's, it's, I don't care who you are. And so I know I have a couple, uh, people who work for me now, they are so much smarter than me in a couple of areas that the creativity is better. I'm not stressed and everything turns out better when I let the people who are smarter than me in particular areas do it. But I'll tell you a funny story of how I learned this lesson. So I was doing everything myself and I was a control freak, and I was like, hmm, I, t- I don't need everybody. I don't need anybody, nah. But for some reason, I had started talking to a web guy, and I think it was for something very minor, like nobody. I just had him on the side in case of an emergency or in case there was something crazy I couldn't do or whatever. And it was a Friday, and I had a problem with the website, and I have no idea what it was. And I thought, I gotta I gotta fix this problem exactly seven and a half hours later of me sitting at my computer. I'm sure one eyeball was probably going the wrong direction at this point. Seven and a half hours later, it dawned on me. I thought, Hmm, I thought new web guy I was talking to. I wonder if I shouldn't just briefly reach out to him and just say, Hey, I'm trying to do this. Um, any ideas? I will probably remember this moment until the day I die. And maybe even after that, he said, okay, let me take a look. BRB, be right back. I'm not kidding you. Less than a minute and a half later, he responded and said, all done. So ballpark 60 seconds or less. It took this guy to fix the problem that I had been staring at and struggling with and stressing out over for seven and a half hours. And I will never forget sitting in my chair thinking, huh, I was doing some math. Like, I, I do have an engineer. Like, math is totally my jam here. I was doing the math on this situation. I probably paid him because he, he had an hourly rate for, what, like a minute. I probably paid him, I don't know, 70 cents or like, let's say $4 if we want to get crazy. I don't know what it was. Uh, It was under $5, no question. (laughs) And so if it only cost me $5 or less to have no headaches, have it done professionally and have it done within 60 seconds versus me sitting around spending seven and a half hours, like, and I think you and I had talked about this and you kind of taught me about like, okay, value your time. Like, what do you think you're worth per hour? I didn't know what it was at the time, but I knew it was more than $4 an hour. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I don't want to give myself too much credit here, but I'm certain my time is worth more than $4 an hour. So that was an absolute game-changing moment in my journey. And I think, we talked about the challenges of people getting into entrepreneurship. Once they, the people who get past that, I think this is the next big problem is when they will not let other people help them. And I get it. Like managing people is tough. You have to find the right people. Like there's a lot about that, but if you're going to be a business owner, you have to understand your job at that point become part of that is learning how to manage people that you're just not going to grow. Otherwise,
0: what tips do you have, lessons have you learned about hiring the right people and then managing the right people, motivating them, and ensuring that they are producing at optimal levels for you? What, what tips or lessons do you have for how to do that?
1: I would say... Two things. Number one, realize that you're not going to get the best team right off the bat. And part of this business owner thing is learning, like I just said, managing your team, including the bad people. I've had, I've hired some, to put it mildly, less than desirable uh, human beings. <laughs> I don't even, I can't even imagine they were desirable as a normal human, much less <laughs> as an employee. Um, There are, I think it's safe to say, maybe it's a little overly bold, but there are crazy people in, on this earth and a lot of them are looking for jobs. So my first tip is if you are hiring some, I highly recommend virtual assistants. Like, you know, we're really coming into a day and age where independent contractors are, that's the thing. Like to have an actual W2 employee is a whole heap load of drama and stuff that I won't even get into. Um, so independent contractors are a thing. Virtual assistants are becoming a bigger thing. And it's those are phenomenal for brand new entrepreneurs because they're cheaper. Uh, I have a couple people that have worked for me for most of hipsters' existence. They're overseas. They are so much cheaper than anyone else. And they are phenomenal. Like phenomenal. So I highly recommend the virtual assistant route. However, if you go that route or with any other potential employees or contractors or whatever... <laughs> The first mistake I made because I was so excited to hire people, I was like, "Woo!" I was like, "Woo! This is gonna be fun!" Oh, I can't wait! So I would create the job posting, and then on depending on what platform you're on, you can go kind of shopping for virtual assistants. You can see their credentials or whatever. Well, it took me not too well. It maybe took me a little while to figure this out. I've figured out that so I'd make the job description, and then I would go shopping for people, which admittedly was kind of fun, like. I kind of like it. So I'd chat for people, see someone who says they're qualified. I'd say, hey, you, look at my job post. You interested? I learned very quickly that everybody will say yes all the time because the competition's hard. I don't know if I, I very rarely had anyone say no. I think the only people who said no to me were the qualified people <laughs> who already had too many clients and they couldn't fit me in. So hindsight about this is I'm even saying, I'm like, oh, no wonder they said yes. Um, is everyone will tell you that they can do a job. So I revised that because I, boy, that did not get me winners, truly. It was was bad. So after that, I would create the job description and let people come to me and let them come to me because I want them to be motivated. I want them to not, prove is a very strong word. Like I don't want to say prove, but essentially prove themselves uh, that they're capable and interested and motivated and want this. And when I would engage in conversation with them, talk to them like I would a friend on email, like talk to them as a normal human being and just see how they engage. Cause I don't, I just, I like working with humans and not everybody acts like one all the time. So that was a big thing. So number one tip is at least for me, I, maybe it's not true for everybody, but posting the job and really letting people come to you and show you what they're about versus just. Reaching out because they're all going to say yes, and then the other one about that is, you will get people that you don't like at some point, or you have to manage them, and know that that's okay. Like this is part of your journey. You have to learn hire them, fire them, how to how do you give constructive criticism, or how do you maybe they're great but they didn't do something you like, or like learning to talk to people and learning to manage people really is huge in this business. So I, I'm so excited. I have the best team working with me now, but I don't want people to think they just appeared overnight either. I, I, we could share stories later, I'm sure of some real, real winners. <laughs> the, you know, you would almost think that they're out to ruin your life, but you know, at least I got rid of them. So it's a trial and error type of thing, truly.
0: And As you've gone through your years of your entrepreneurial journey, as you reflect back, what would you say now, auditing yourself personally, what would you say are your biggest weaknesses personally that you have? And how have you identified those? And then what do you do to compensate for those?
1: I think my biggest weakness for sure is... I'm very much a visionary entrepreneur. I have ideas at like rapid fire in my head. Like and they're I don't know, I assume they're legit ideas. Like I love ideas. I love coming up with new stuff. I love new well, ideas. And where I really struggle with that is I'm kind of the the ADD like squirrel. Like I get one idea, I'm like, "Wow, this is so exciting. Let's do it." And then squirrel. And I'm on to the next one. Right. And so I have a hard time staying grounded. And it really, I, we'll talk about the solution in a second, but that's one problem is being grounded. And then the other for me, which is almost kind of related to this is details. I'm a big picture person, hence the idea after idea. And I don't stick with it long because I'm onto the next idea. Cause I don't care about details. I just want the idea. So the mitigation that I have found that has worked for me and I think is absolutely a required part of any successful business, instead of strengthening my weaknesses, just hire someone who's smarter than I am. And so I actually have someone working with me now who kills two birds with one stone. She keeps me very grounded. Like She knows I'm going to have a cool idea, we're going to talk about something really fancy, and then I'm going to completely fly away and forget that we ever talked about it. And so she knows to reel me back in. If I don't give her something I was supposed to give her, she's like, hey, pst. I need this and it keeps me grounded. And she's also the detail oriented type. So like the management kind of perspective, I'm the visionary and whatever. And so the logistical stuff or the details or the whatever she is phenomenal at. So truly, I mean, outsourcing we've, we've kind of talked about it is you have to hire people to do the things that you're not great at. Because again, if you hang on to these control issues or whatever, You're just going to short yourself, your business, your success rate, everything, and let other people help you is huge.
0: Totally agree with that 100%. And I think another thing that holds aspiring entrepreneurs back is thinking, I don't have all of the skills needed to successfully execute this. Yeah, I'm not good at this and this. I mean, they might be, you know, maybe somebody knows you or they're hearing you on this podcast and they go to your website and they see what you do and all this and they say, it's amazing, but I don't have this and that and this other skill that Allie has. Yeah. Therefore, I couldn't do what she does, yeah. right? And I feel like one of the really important, like when I decided to start my own business I, you know, I said definitively, I am going to start my own business, and this is going to work. And then immediately after that, I said, "But I don't know how to start my own business." I wonder. And uh, I also am very self-aware that I do not have all the skills to start my own business. And so I decided to get some business partners. Yeah. And so I said, who do I know that has these very specific skills that I know are needed that I definitely don't have? And I really don't even have the potential to cultivate because it's so far outside my area of expertise or things that I'm even remotely good at or understand that I need other people that know those things. So I know, what I'm good at and I'm self-aware about that and I can contribute this but I need other people that can contribute these other things and so you can either find that in the form of business partners or uh, uh, hiring, you know, employees, independent contractors, that kind of things and hiring people that have those. So it's about being able, not being able to have, you don't need to have all the skills yourself. You need to be aware of what skills are needed. Mm -hmm. You need to be self-aware of what you have and especially what you don't have. Yeah. And then you need to be able to put the other piece. Pieces in place. The entrepreneurial game is putting the pieces in place yeah. to successfully execute a business idea.
1: But it, there is a required component of confidence there because if you don't have that confidence to know that it's okay for you not to know how to do something, you're not going to make it.
0: And the other thing, you know, that I think that you did that's important to put out there for aspiring entrepreneurs. Is that is the difference, and this is a crucial difference between building a business versus building a job for yourself, Mm -hmm. and the difference between building a location-independent business versus building a business or you know that's going to confine you to one geographic area and restrict you. And I think this also you know relates to and might provide a good transitionary. You know, moment to the real estate investing, yeah. right? And different perspectives on real estate investing. So there's a lot of people that want to, you know, a lot of the gurus and the investment club people and the, you know, TV shows and stuff like that talk about, you know, leaving your corporate job. To go, you know, quote unquote, go into real estate investing. Well, what in the world does that mean? Well, a lot of people, what they're trying to tell you that it means is to create a job for yourself to go out and try to flip houses (laughs) in your local area so that you're working all the time and you can find your local area and you're doing this other thing. And then basically you just switch from one job to another job, right? Now, if you like that job better, great. You know, you have a job that you like better, but you still have a job. You're still creating active income. You still have to do all this work. And, you know, then you, you know, if you do it. Correctly and in an optimal way, then you'll make some money mm-hmm. when you sell something and then you got to do it again and you're on the hamster wheel and you're geographically, you know, restricted and confined yeah. to that area because that's your area of expertise where you're doing it in your local market. And same thing with traditional real estate agents. They only operate in their local market, yeah. right? And they only can sell houses in their local market and that's where they have to be and they have to live there because that's how they earn their money and all this stuff. And so what I think that you've done, which is really significant, is from the very outset of your business, and the same with, with, with Maverick, mm-hmm. right, and with, with what I did, what was to create a vision about what are the goals of the business, yeah. right, for you. You want to build it in a way that will allow you to live wherever you want. Yeah. If you want to live on the beach in California, great. If you change your mind next year and you want to move to another part of the world, Fantastic. And so that kind of vision and I think you emulate in and, and a fantastic example of someone that had that from the outset, I want to leave the corporate world, not because I want to create another job for myself right. in the same exact location and work all day and then make this money, but because I want the freedom yeah. to be able to travel and live where I want and wake up when I want and all that stuff. And if that's your goal... You then have to define that clearly and reverse engineer a business model that's going to facilitate that.
1: Yeah, and there's different components to that in the planning stage. Not only do I have to start my own business, but I need to set it up in a fashion where it doesn't matter mostly like where I'm located with an online company, I can work anywhere I want as long as I have Wi Fi. And people need to understand if you're going to be an entrepreneur, yeah, you're going to be doing whatever the trade is or related to something that you do or whatever, but the act of building a business is so different than any trade or technical thing that you're doing. I don't care if you're a consultant. I don't care if you make cupcakes. I don't care if you're a pilot and you're going to start your own airline. I don't care what you do, but the logistics of building that business is a different entity. No pun intended, but that's actually a pretty good pun.
0: Very... <laughs> But but very important point. There is a dramatic difference between being a business owner and building that business as an yeah. entrepreneur versus being a self employed person that wants to yep. say charge by the hour to perform a service. Yep. And you're going to just you know, freelance at your time and yep. get paid to do what you do and have maybe different clients and just be a self-employed yep. person. Now, there are ways to create location independence totally. with that. You can be a location independent freelancer, no problem. Totally. There's tons of ways to do that. Yep. So you can achieve some of the same things, but it's different from yep. being a business owner. And so I think the important thing there is, again, back to auditing yourself, yeah. back to understanding who you are, what you're good at, what makes you happy doing every day, what you want, and then what your vision is.
1: If you're pondering the entrepreneur journey before you do anything, figure out what it is you want. Do you want to be self-employed? Maybe you want to keep doing exactly what you already do in your corporate job, but you just want to be your own boss. That's one thing. Do you have the capacity or the whatever or interest in building a business? Really sit down and take the time to assess that because those are different goals. And right. I think it really throws people through a loop when they there's mix a lot all of those
0: up. And there's a lot of convolution, I think, is is right. And so when people are looking to go that route, they often fall in, incidentally, fall into the self-employment trap. Yep. Right? Yep. And they think they're going to be a business owner, an entrepreneur, and they're really just becoming a self-employed person. Yeah. Um, And so there's a, and that's a massive trap and they don't know how to get out of it. Right. And so I think that starting with that end goal and the end vision, and what you want to do and achieve and how you want your life to look, which is exactly what you and I did. I mean, it was very clear. The vision was very clear.
1: (laughs) Well, and we knew those things from the get go and we planned accordingly.
0: Right. And we're not talking about vacations here. We're talking about having the freedom to be able to go and live somewhere or spend as much time as you choose choose, you know, and travel as frequently as you want at will. And so that kind of freedom of mobility and location independence is something that really you need to plan for that. You need to design that. And then once you have your vision, your goals, you just reverse engineer that and create a path and a plan, which I think, um, you know, is something that, that you have absolutely done that makes you stand out.
1: One of my biggest goals in life was to be able, if someone, if a friend or whoever asked if I wanted to do lunch one day to be in a position where I had the freedom to say yes. Because in my corporate job, on a Tuesday, I can't go to lunch with a friend. Because if I can, I can squeeze in, what, 30 minutes before I have to leave and get back to work and whatever. And I'm admittedly an extrovert, and I like going to lunch with friends. And I wanted to be able to say yes. And I remember the first year, first couple of years when I'd quit my job, people would say, hey, I'm traveling wherever, do you want to go? I'm like, Yeah. And to not have to be able to ask for the vacation time and all that. And so I don't travel the world as much as you do. Like, I'm I'm a little more stationary. I Well, I do, but not from a living perspective. But on the small scale of that, because I feel like a lot of people may think, well, I don't really want to travel the world, or I don't want to be that crazy with things and adventurous. But it's little things. To just be able to say yes to a lunch invite or to not have to restrict your vacations to Friday evening through Sunday evening or to sleep in on a Monday morning. I can't tell you that level of freedom. You almost can't grasp it until you experience it. Right. I mean, I was jaw dropped. Like the first year I tell everyone I've never been more broke in my life, but I've never been happier either. Right. For that specific purpose was freedom. I mean, it was like, oh. The angels had arrived.
0: Right, because you <laughs> had created the time, the control over your time, and you had created the location dependence, mm-hmm. and you'd moved to the beach. I did. And so, and so you had that, and it was just the income piece yeah. that you needed to work on, you needed to get up, and so now you have the income piece and the time piece and the mobility piece all in sync. But you at least initially had the time and you had the mobility and you were able to travel around the world and you were able to live on the beach and you were able to wake up when you want and you're able to go out to lunch with whoever you wanted, whenever you wanted. And that, I think, you know, what people always undervalue. And the main thing that I got and you and I both read the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss. And one of the main things that I took from that when I first read it was, wow, Mobility and time are currencies just like income is. And in fact, they're even. More valuable yeah. than the income in terms of freedom and in terms of currencies to be able to really have control over designing yeah. your lifestyle. And so you were able to achieve two out of the three very quickly. Yeah. And then you just grinded it out until the income came up. And I, you know, the same exact thing was with me. Yeah. You know, I mean, I had the exact same experience. And so, but you're right. When you taste that freedom,
1: oh man, it's. I, I remember the first year I was. So broke. I, would, I mean, just stressed on my mind. And I remember my mom one time asked me, she said, well, would you ever consider going back to my previous job, and I said my exact response was, I will sooner be homeless on Venice Beach before I ever take a Monday through Friday 9-to-5 job again. As a kid, I remember thinking, I'm going to be the breadwinner. I want to make so much money. I'm going to be a multimillionaire, and that care, I that's why I didn't become a professional pilot. I wanted more money. I was so money-driven, and at this point now, I don't have those desires anymore because if I have enough money to eat, pay my rent, do whatever I'm doing, and I have the amount of time or mobility that I have, I would give up the multi-millions for that all day long. Because the multi-millions to me are not worth it if you're in a gray cubicle.
0: I agree with that entirely. And I think that's a great place to pause part one of this interview. There's so much more to talk about with you. And I want to get into travel and, of course, have a whole discussion with you about your real estate investing experiences and your top tips for people who are buying rental properties and using property managers. And, of course, I've got to ask you about this reality TV show appearance. So we're going to pause here and continue the conversation about all of that in the next Episode. So, Ali, thank you so much for being here. And be sure to tune into the next episode for part two with Ali Boone. Be sure to visit the show notes page at themaverickshow.com for direct links to all the books, people, and resources mentioned in this episode. You'll find all that and much more at themaverickshow.com. If you like podcasts, you will love audiobooks, and you can get your first one for free themaverickshow.com slash audiobook whether you want the latest best-selling novels or books on investing business or travel try your first audiobook for free at themaverickshow.com forward slash audio Are you following Maverick Investor Group on social media at Invest Maverick? You'll get exclusive content such as behind the scenes footage, travel adventures, and tips on real estate investing and lifestyle design.
1: Follow Maverick Investor Group
0: on Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat all at Invest Maverick.